Hello and welcome to another episode of The Grey NATO, a Hodinkee podcast, a loose discussion of travel, diving, driving gear, and most certainly watches. This episode is proudly brought to you by Alps and Meters, upholding the tradition of classic alpine sport. It's episode 72, and we thank you for listening. Hey, how's it going? Great. Happy New Year. Yeah, same to you, dude. Uh, the year started off okay. We're a few days in at this point. Yeah, about to meet each other again out in uh, out in Colorado uh, tomorrow. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of like uh, weirdly ex- like really excited just to uh, just to kind of be out there for a few days. I had kind of you know been moving across country. It was pretty stressful, sort of December and into even the last couple days. And uh, I'm excited to kind of get out there and just kind of focus on watches and hang out with you and and decompress a little bit. Yeah, yeah, should be fun. Good, should be a good crew. And uh, I don't know, the, the mountains in winter are just something special. So should be great. Yeah, we get a day of skiing. That's going to be awesome. And we get to do a face-to-face episode so people can look forward to that from uh, the next one. Yeah, great fun. So what else is uh, what else is new? Tell me, tell me a little bit about your kind of holiday break. Yeah, so, you know, since we recorded last, which I think was just uh, right around Christmas, I guess, um, uh, my wife and I went up to uh, northern Minnesota, just along the north shore of Lake Superior, to a kind of a, outside of a small town called Beaver Bay for uh, kind of for a pre-New Year's uh, getaway. And we, we rented a cabin that we found on uh, VRBO and um, kind of happened to drive up there just in the just in the wake of a, a pretty major snowstorm that they had up there. So that made the driving oh, wow. kind of interesting and, but it also made it just, just really beautiful to kind of get into the woods. And, um, we had to go up like a half mile, really steep, snowy hill, um, just kind of turn off the traction control and just kind of floor it and kind of skid up to the top. And, and then once we were there, we, we didn't leave at least in the, in the car, um, did a little bit of snowshoeing and, um, I brought some new, uh, new cross country skis that I got this winter and, got to try those out. But other than that, we just, just hung out, kept the wood stove full of wood and, and read books and listened to podcasts and, uh, um, just, just looked out, you know, Lake Superior was kind of off in the, off in the distance through the trees. And, um, it was, it was really, really great to sort of unplug after, uh, what was, you know, a pretty busy year. So, uh, it was, it was great. That sounds awesome. I'm happy for you. Yeah. And, you know, the, the, the skis that I got were, were really fun to try out. I mean, we've had a really lousy ski winter here in, in the Twin Cities uh, for snow uh, and for skiing because it's just been sort of icy and gray. And we've even had a lot of rain this winter, which is really weird. But uh, so I got a chance to take these skis up north with me. They're, they're from Fisher. They're called the, uh, the S-Bound. And they've been around for a few years, but I hadn't tried them. They're, they're kind of marketed as a backcountry uh, ski um, metal edged touring backcountry ski, um, that you could use for some sort of light downhill skiing, I guess, if you were, um, proficient in telemark style skiing, or you can kind of like skitter your way down. So I, I <laughs> that, that half mile driveway or, or road that we had to drive up, I was kind of practicing my downhill technique in these skis and, and they, they work pretty well. They're, they're pretty wide at the, at the tail and the tip. So they're, they're kind of almost like carved or, you know, carving style, uh, cross-country skis which is sort of a weird it was a weird concept for me but but what's really neat about these skis is they have a uh, a little slot and up near the nose that uh, you can you can string uh, a skin through which I didn't do but you could put like a removable skin for for doing uphill travel if you're doing some serious kind of uphill mountain backcountry skiing but uh, yeah they were they were great so you know just in full disclosure uh, Fisher sent me these to to try out um, so I didn't pay for them but uh, 
regardless, they were um, really, uh, really impressive. And, and it's, it's just fun to kind of get up, you know, that far north where the snow is still deep and, and just kind of break trail. So that was, uh, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, my my dad is very much a, a big fan of cross country skiing, but you know, we're I'm in southeastern Ontario currently, which is where my parents live. Yeah, and uh, there's no snow here. Oh and yeah. He, so he uh, he told me many times over the Christmas break that he was looking at your Instagram and just like <laughs> like lovesick for the snow. Oh yeah, yeah. And he got a he got a beautiful new pair of boots. He has new skis this year. Yeah. And uh, and I keep telling him like, man, you get in the car and just drive somewhere, like you said. Yeah. Like go find a cabin, go go up somewhere near a ski area or whatever that has some snow. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and kick around. So my guess is that'll be his next move. Yeah. And it's funny, I years ago I bought a uh I got a set of um roller skis, you know, so you can use your existing Nordic boots and poles. Um but then you uh, you clip into these roller skis, and I tried them a couple of times, and boy, it's just death defying to be on pavement, like kind of getting up some speed, like especially going down a hill. And you know, I know that plenty of people do this for off season training, but they're they're fairly terrifying. So, not to, uh, and yeah, you know, that's a pretty lousy sales pitch, but uh, I will offer them if you want to. If we meet in Colorado and your dad wants them, I can bring them. You can haul them back for him because I've I've given up trying to use them. Yeah, for but, sure. Uh, anyway, I'll uh, I'll run that past him and see what he thinks. Yeah. So yeah, other than that, I mean, you know, I mentioned I uh, up in the cabin, it was kind of prime prime time for for some whiskey drinking, and and I've been drinking kind of a, an unusual new uh, whiskey uh, lately. It's a it's from it's actually from England, and which which sounds kind of surprising, but it, you know, it's it's from a region that's just south of of Scotland, so you know, it's not that much different than, than scotch whiskey. Um, and this is called, it's called the English peated whiskey. So it's a very peaty, um, a very peaty malted whiskey, uh, from, from England. And, uh, my wife had gotten it for me a while back and, you know, I had never heard of it. Um, and I think it's fairly affordable, but you know, I mean, now we're seeing, we're seeing whiskeys pop up from unusual locations. Uh, of course, the Japanese have been doing it for a long time. There's a Amrut from India and, of course, scotch and bourbon and rye and all these others. And uh, why not England? So um, I can vouch for it. I'm certainly not a uh, whiskey expert, but I do drink my share of it and uh, and I get behind it. I think it was I think it was really quite good. Well, that's great. Maybe uh, I, I know that we'll have to we'll have to see what we can find in in Colorado. I've been taking a little bit of time off as people tend to in January. Yeah. You know, if I if I'm going to, you know, have a drink or two, I'd, I'd it's always nice to have it with you, and yeah, uh, I've never, certainly never tried an English peated whiskey, yeah, like what you've described. So that sounds uh, that sounds good. Yeah, I'll save and, a little uh, bit for uh, uh, for when you visit. <laughs> oh, perfect! Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, and yeah, I mean, for me, it's uh, it's mostly been just kind of a never ending process of moving across country, and you know, packing up one house and shipping vehicle and. Yeah. Also moving and moving and moving and and I, I calculated at some rate in December I, I had something like eight homes. Oh, jeez. I, I had stayed in eight different places. Wow. Uh, in December, so uh, I mean, some of those are are you know work related. I was in was in New York for some time and, and yeah. did a little bit of traveling around that area, so I saw a few different spots and yeah, and you know th- that's all great. And then you know it kind of looks like uh, like January's already pretty packed for travel. You know, you and I will be in Colorado. I will be back from Colorado by the time this episode goes live. Oh, right. Yeah. So we'll and, yeah, uh, weird. yeah. And then the day after this episode goes live, myself and a large contingent of the Hodinkee team are going to SIHH. Yep. Yep. Uh, for the big show. So that's, uh, 
I mean, most people listening know what SIHH is, but it's a you know the big Geneva show for Richemont and several ancillary brands that kind of exist um, to or or that also present in the area surrounding the show. So it's it's one of the two big shows. If you're not you know if you're kind of just dipping your toe into the watch world, uh, January we have SIHH and March we have uh, Basel at least until 2020. Yeah, and then it all changes. But uh, yeah, so the the big show SIHH. I've I've done SIHH in the past, but I've never done it with Houdinki. Oh right, that's true. Yeah. Uh, so this will be my first time with those guys, which I'm exceedingly excited about. I'm you know the show isn't really the sort of watches I love typically. Yeah. I'm always excited for one or two. I've seen a little bit of what um, IWC has, and it looks like it's back to sport watches again, Nice, which I'm excited about. And then, of course, uh, JLC always has some interesting stuff that that is actually in the entry level to luxury price point. Yeah. Uh, you know, last year with the Polaris, and, and I'm sure they'll want some sort of a follow-up. The year before that, they had the, the sector dial uh, stuff that was pretty gorgeous. And, uh, and so there's a couple brands that I find pretty interesting. If I can get to a chance to tag along and take photos at Longa, Definitely not going to turn that down. Their booth also has uh, cold beer and pretzels. <laughs> yeah, it's always good. So that's the one of the the key spots at SIHH for sure. And other than that, you know, I get to hang out with the team from Hodenkey, which is always a treat. And um, you know, I'm not wild about uh, Geneva, but I'll, I'll make I'll make the stops. I'm not sorry. That's not fair. I'm not wild about Geneva in January. Yeah, it's. I've been told when I bring up how how much I dislike Geneva, I've been told by people who know who know much more than I do that it's absolutely lovely other times of the year. Sure, but I, I'm gonna you know make a run for those chocolate almonds and 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 certainly try and make a spin over to the Mad Gallery, one of my favorite spots, and and that sort of thing. So yeah, so I'm actually sitting out SAHH this year. Um, so I I, I can't say I'll miss uh, Geneva in January, um, but uh, I will miss the opportunity to get over and buy those our our chocolates i think they call them the princess and they're the those wonderful chocolate covered candied almonds which if if you haven't tried it our a-u-e-r and if you can find them or find somebody that'll mule some back from switzerland for you uh they are truly truly incredible and uh, maybe i'll i'll hit you up to buy me a box or two it's already in the works you I mean, don't have to worry about yeah it. they're uh they're awesome. It's a shame that it's a shame that Colorado isn't after Switzerland because yeah. I can just hand them to you. Yeah, um, yeah. We could we could spend that whole the whole next episode just eating them into the microphone. Yeah, which I'm sure people <laughs> would love. Well, we might have to, um, depending on the timing, we might I guess I guess have to record an episode from Geneva. I don't know. Well, I guess we'll have to see how the timing shakes out. But that could be kind of interesting to kind of do. I think we did that a few years ago when I was over there, and I think you were back in in Canada. So I yeah, we, we definitely did do an that. episode. Yeah. But, yeah, we'll uh, have to see uh, see how the timing works out. I think we might clear it with, by episode seventy three. Yeah, uh, but we might need one in the in the can. So yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, always trying to keep on top of that recording schedule. And then you know, on on top of that, uh, I see that you've got a, a new watch that's actually on wrist. I have a new watch that's in the mail. So what what, what are you actually? I mean, anyone who knows that your Instagram has seen it, but it's a it's quite a thing. Yeah, I mean, this was uh, this was not on my radar at all, and it's it's definitely not a watch that's my usual taste. Uh, anybody that knows me, I'm, I'm definitely a sport watch kind of uh, dive watch guy, almost ninety percent of the time. Um, but we had a sort of a local uh, Midwest Watch Club slash Red Bar MSP get together here just before Christmas, um, where everybody sort of got together and we sort of did an informal swap meet and drank and ate and made merry for a night and and. Um, there on the on the kind of the sale table was this uh, uh, late seventies Tudor Prince Oyster date um, with uh, I guess it's kind of more of a silver dial, silvery white um, dial mm-hmm. on on a folded link oyster bracelet, 
in the box, in the original Tudor box. Um, and it was being sold by a local friend here, Dustin. Uh, hey, Dustin, if you're listening. Dustin is a uh, you know, pretty discerning watch collector. Um, he's got some pretty heavy hitters. He's got a very early Monaco, and he's got kind of a really beautiful 1675 that he wears quite a bit. And he just said he wasn't wearing this this Tudor very often and kind of was looking to move it. And he gave me just one of those prices that you just can't, you can't turn down, especially with a watch that I was just smitten by. I mean, I... It's hard to describe kind of why I was attracted to this watch, but but now that I'm wearing it, it's so it, it was the what they call the jumbo oyster date. So you know, jumbo is a term that's been used a lot with uh, APs and paddocks and whatever. But it, it's because this watch is a 38 millimeter diameter as opposed to the 36 that most of these these watches were back in the day. Um, so it, it's just the right size, and then it looks just right on on an oyster bracelet. And and it does, with yeah. the stick hands and the stick markers. And kind of a very spare dial, but then you get the the magnified date. There's just something that appeals to me as you know someone who wears dive watches a lot. Um, you know, you you often use the term palate cleanser, and I, I, to me, this this feels like that. It it it's a watch that, um, like I said, was was just not anywhere close to anything I would ever consider just seeking out. But but when I put it on, I haven't taken it off since, I think, December 22nd. I mean, you know, I'll swap for like a wrist shot or just for kicks for half a day, but pretty much I've been wearing it nonstop. It, it kind of has this feel of, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting up there in age, of course, but like it has that sort of old man, sort of like like a guy who's done stuff is, would be wearing this watch. You know, like it's it's definitely got the, the, the oyster case and kind of the water resistance you, you'd expect from... Uh, a Rolex oyster cased watch. Um, but then with the, the stick markers and there's, I don't think there ever even was any loom originally. So it, it's just kind of one of those watches that could be a dress watch, but you know, you could sail around the world with it or you could, you know, ski yeah. in it, which I've done and, and kind of just beat it up and, and it still looks good. So yeah, it's, it's been, it's been great. I'm going to wear it to Colorado. So you'll, you'll see it in person out there. It's, oh, uh, that's great. I mean, those, those watches are, that remind me so closely of early explorers. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're, they're just one unit of like a reliable watch. Yeah. That has no pretense of being like, for one, you go out on the town or for one, you're underwater or for one, you're this or for one, you're that. It's just for when you want to wear a watch. Right. Here it is. Right. Right. And it's like, they're super pure. And you know, you hear people say that like the 1016, the, you know, the original explorer. Yeah is probably the purest, finest, most perfect sport watch design ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I like that Tudor's right in the same vein. Yeah. You know, it's 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 maybe separated by generation. Yeah. And and maybe a little bit more refined in some ways and less vintage in other ways, but I, I think it's killer and it looks great. The photos you're you're putting up look fantastic. I can't wait to see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. So um and and you've got something coming in that unfortunately yeah, yeah. hasn't arrived yet. No, it's uh, it's it's not far from here, but I don't think it'll be here. It well, it won't be here before I leave. I leave very early in the morning to get to Toronto for uh the flight to Colorado. Yeah, you know, I had said that in in a previous episode, I'd said that I had missed this Walkman, you know, Regat Chrono. Yeah, uh, because I kind of slept on it when I saw it. I was like, oh, I'll get to, I'll write, I'll write uh, Jordan at Retro Watch Guy. I'll write him later. I'll get to it. And uh, this time, I saw a gold watch that I was kind of that I, I thought looked really good. The condition looks incredible. Yeah, and I very quickly read a little bit about the movement because I didn't really understand was it a chronograph? How's it? What is it? But it's called a uh, a Buren Min Stop, <laughs> and it's this uh, this really funky parking meter timer. Huh. So it's um it's kind of a, a tonneau cushion style case. It has a single pusher, so it almost looks like a mono pusher chronograph. Yeah. 
but then it has a essentially a, a digital display for a countdown timer or a, a, sorry a digital display for a uh, a count up timer it's like a rotating disc or something right is it yeah, yeah. so it's ex- yeah it's a rotating disc so the, the basic is that the disc is always running oh it is okay. and and you you click the pusher to zero it oh okay Huh. Which I think is super clever, yeah. and uh, and basically, I, you know, for a while, and I, I don't have to go back into my like general growing appreciation for gold watches. Yeah. But for a while, I've wanted a vintage watch that's a gold case with a gold dial. Yeah. Yeah. And I want something that's like not too dressy, but not too sporty, like just kind of an old man's gold watch. Yeah. Not not unlike your Tudor, but like in some sort of gold. And if it had an, a functionality that I don't already have. Yeah. All the better. An alarm was kind of what I had in my mind. Waltham made some pretty cool cushion case alarm watches that were gold tone. Yeah. And uh, this worked out perfectly. I wrote Jordan immediately. He said, you know, the condition's great. This is how the movement works. This is how the functionality is. And uh, and we made a deal and it's in the mail to me. So stay tuned on Instagram for that. I'm sure I'll talk about it in probably not the next episode because we're going to record that episode also before i get the watch but maybe the one after that yeah so i'm hoping this will be what i'll wear on wrist at uh at sih yeah uh because obviously buren you're not going to upset any brands by <laughs> wearing a competitor i like i always like wearing a vintage watch in these scenarios when yeah. you can yeah right um but yeah i'll uh, i'll put a link to the page from retro watch guy in the show notes so you can check it out if you want to see the watch but uh He's had them before in steel, and uh, they make them in kind of a, also a different shape to the aperture for the timer. Sure. One that's like a full half half uh, parabola. Yeah. Uh, whereas this one's kind of cut to even look even more like the timer on an old school parking meter. Yeah, right. Uh, so I like it. It's not There's not too much black on it. I'll, I'll wear it on a brown strap or maybe even that like one of the green straps that I have, and uh, I, I think it just looks like a lot of fun. I'm excited to have it in. Is that rotating disc, is it counting up to 60 seconds, or is it a minute? Counter? It's minutes. That's oh, minutes. Perfect. Oh, even better. Yeah. Wow. Which, uh, which is fun. So yeah, it was the idea was like you could park and know that you were allowed to park for twenty minutes there and <laughs> sure. just start it as you got out of the car. No muss, no fuss. It's amazing. And and uh, and yeah, I I, I just I, I don't know. It's fun, and I think it's gonna be fun to wear. And the, it looks like it's in fantastic condition. I mean, Jordan takes great photos, so you can tell. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I'm excited for it. So hopefully, I'll have I'll get that on Thursday. I'm home for a day roughly before I leave for Geneva. So yeah. Perfect, uh, perfect get, choice get, for that trip. Yeah, yeah. Th- I hope that works out. Otherwise, I'll probably wear. Uh, I'm Explorer. not sure. Or, yeah, something. yeah. I could wear the Explorer. I, could, I mean, I could just wear the Aerospace. It's fun for SIH. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's uh, true. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, so a perfect travel watch too. So yeah. Uh, we'll we'll see how that works out. And uh, what and about yeah, camera gear? What are you ta- what are you taking to uh, SIH? What are, what are you taking to Colorado for that matter? Well, here's here's the sad thing. Um, I uh, I I. Uh, one of I went to a, a child's birthday party over Christmas, yeah. uh, just after Christmas. Yeah, and we we're at a bowling alley, and I, I picked up one of my kids, and uh, the strap to my sixty five hundred with the Zeiss on it. Yeah, hooked on their leg, it fell off the table, and I broke the lens. Ooh. Ooh. So, uh, you know, I, I was very upset I, and I am still upset, but I've never broken a lens before and I've been doing this for a very long time and I don't like to not bring things to a bowling alley or whatever because you might break them. So this was eventually going to happen. Yeah. And being a Zeiss, it can be repaired. It's a very high end lens. Um, unfortunately, I don't, there wasn't enough time between the party and when I leave tomorrow to actually buy another one of the Zeiss that I love, which is, uh, for anyone listening, is the uh, 24mm F1.8ZA. Yeah. And it's a Sonar T, so it's a rare lens. It's a very expensive lens within the cropped mirrorless format for Sony. 
mm-hmm. um, and uh, and it's nice and small. And it, you know, if you if you've seen any wrist shots on my feed, if you've seen any car shots, it's that lens. Oh wow! Um, I, it's what I use most of the time. So I, I I didn't panic. I thought about it for about a day and a half. I took that lens in for repair. I'll have it repaired maybe by Basel. Yeah. And um, and so in the interim, I'm going to drop down to just using one camera, which will be the 5D Mark III. It's an amazing camera. It does take a better image than the Sony can. Mm-hmm. Um, but all I have for it, because my entire camera collection is packed for yeah. the next while. Yeah. So all I have for it was the 50 millimeter, which is what I was going to bring to SIHH. Yeah. It's a perfect uh, watch photography lens, the 50 millimeter F2.5 from Canon. Yeah. Uh, so to kind of fill in the gap for cars, because I have some car work coming up between now and then, I bought the Sigma 35 F1.4 Art, which I've shot with before for Hodenkey. They have one in the office. Yeah. And I mean, may, maybe in some scenarios, the the Canon L 35 millimeter, which is double the money, is slightly better. But the, all of the really pro reviews would suggest they're both the same. Um, and this one, I mean, it's not a cheap, the Sigma art stuff is not cheap. It was, you know, over a thousand dollars, but it's a, it's a really, really impressive lens. I went out and shot with it for a couple of days. So I kind of have a feel for it now. Uh, so now, yeah, I'm, I'm rolling to, uh, Colorado with the 50 and this new 35 and just the Mark three, which is all fine. The only real bummer is when you want to do an Instagram, I now have to like take the SD card oh, out. Yeah. It doesn't have Wi-Fi, so you have to take the SD card out. You have to plug the SD card into a little reader, plug it into my phone, pull the file, eject the reader carefully so you don't corrupt the card, put the card back in the camera. Yeah, it's clunk- it's clunky. It's not yeah. that mu- it's not that much worse. It's just clunky. Yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah, I mean, it's not a bad backup camera, but I I, I totally hear what you're saying, and and I think moving from, uh, you know, as I mentioned in the last show, moving to the the Nikon Z7 has kind of streamlined that camera to phone interface i mean we had that with the sony but for for kind of topside stuff to move away from like a d4 or a df that didn't have wi-fi to to the z7 it's really helped and and i can vouch you know that we, we have the sigma uh, 50 millimeter art lens uh, 1.4 it's an incredible lens and it's an incredible lens and gashani shoots you know she's shot a good deal of the kind of the great uh, photography that's gone with a few of my stories uh with that lens so i'm, I'm sure you won't be hurting but yeah that that workflow is going to be a little bit clunkier. And then of course the, the Canon's just a much bigger camera too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It's a, it's quite a bit bigger. And I mean, that's okay. Cause I, you know, to go to Colorado, I have to bring all the recording gear for our stuff. So I wasn't really going to do it out of the tote bag. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I actually have more room than I need now in the, in the Tenba, the perfect camera bag that it is. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. And then we'll see, you know, there's, I'm still, the, the, the funny thing is, is if I had dropped the camera and the 6,500 had broke, but the lens was fine. Yeah. Yeah. I probably wouldn't do anything about it because I'm planning to replace the 6,500. Oh, sure. Yeah. The bummer is what I broke was the thing I wanted to keep from the Sony platform. Yeah. Yeah. To move to the A7R3. Yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, yeah. So, so it, it is what it is. I, I, I'll, I'll find out from, Zeiss what the repair is going to be and how long uh yeah. probably in the next couple of days so yeah yeah oh, that's too bad well yeah it's a not 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 great but um you know like i said i've done really well as far as damaging camera gear over the time and uh eventually it was going to happen so I, what i probably should have done was gone to the bowling alley with a, a film lens uh, a film camera yeah and just run a really high ISO film and, and develop the pictures later. It's not like the, I sh- you know, it wasn't a scenario where I was ever going to work. I like, I wasn't selling these photos or something right, like that. So right. I probably should have just done it with film. And then if they had knocked my AE1 off the table, I'd be out a hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And now I think it's time to 
just chat briefly about our sponsor, which this week is the wonderful Alps and Meters. They are purveyors and creators of fine kind of classic Alpine apparel. And Jason has had some longstanding experience with their clothing and some of their wares. Uh, Jason, tell us a little bit about Alps and Meters. Yeah, so I think what I like about Alps and Meters is they sort of harken back to that I guess golden age of sort of alpine sports. A little bit of James Bond, a little bit of Reinhold Messner thrown in there. You know, I've used their products for the past couple of years. I've uh, been skiing and hiking and, you know, just all around sort of adventuring and, and also urban wear with a few of their pieces. And I, I think what's neat about them is that they're they're functional, but they're also like really stylish. I have, I recently picked up their, their touring vest, which is a sort of uh, pullover, I guess you'd call uh, almost like an adventure smock. It has a big pocket on the front where you can put a map or your gloves. It, it has a high collar that, that laces up the front uh, and it's made from sort of a, a coated nylon, but it's thin enough that it's not terribly hot, but it sheds water and snow. And then, you know, I've also had a chance to to use a couple of their sweaters, including this this classic waffle, which is, I think, you know, you had described it as almost a, sort of a James Bond-esque sort of uh, sweater. It, it's sort of this waffle knit with some detailing at the at the uh, elbows, the inside of the elbows for flexibility, and then it has this sort of off-center asymmetrical uh, button placket that runs from the neck down to about the middle of the chest. Just a, a nice sort of heavy, tight weave, dark wool that that I've worn a lot in the winter, even as outerwear. Uh, I've worn it skiing and snowshoeing on its own, and uh, you know it's it's the kind of thing that transitions well from outside adventuring and, and actual functional use to. Yeah, you know, the cliche is après ski, but I think, you know, use it for sort of just general sitting by the fire, sipping a hot cocoa or just walking around town. I think Alps and Meters just does a really great job with design. And, and of course, the, the build quality is really excellent as well. Yeah, that's great. I mean, I'm nothing if not a fan of like a really nice gray sweater. Yeah. And we couldn't be more happy to have a sponsor like Alps and Meters supporting the show. So swing by alpsandmeters.com to see what they have. And if you use the code HODINKEY at checkout, you actually get express shipping for free. So a huge thank you to Alps and Meters for supporting the Graynado, and let's get back to it. Well, maybe we should jump into our main topic, huh? Yeah, let's do it. That sounds good. I mean, it's our first show of, of 2019. Uh, you know, we did sort of a nice end-of-year episode uh, for episode 71, and so we kind of figured this time might be sort of fun to look ahead to 2019, uh, talk about sort of goals, resolutions, ambitions, uh, but uh, also kind of what we want to see for, for watches uh, this year. I think we've kind of done this in the past informally, like what mm-hmm. what would we like to see? What are our, our predictions for SIHH and Basel? Um, but, you know, we thought we'd sort of expand it, just sort of look ahead to the year, uh, kind of what we want to do and what we want to see. Um, for you, I'm guessing, you know, the Buren uh, might be a little hint at what what you have in mind in terms of, of watches for 2019. It's your, it's your first it's your first incoming, so it's it's kind of a bit of a bellwether as to what you're after. Yeah, I think we're kind of setting the tone with uh, with the Buren, and and I think that I think it might be a year where I kind of just mess around with kind of vintage gold watches, uh, get a feel for what there is and 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 the different sort of stuff, and and you know maybe the goal would be to have something in solid gold by the end of the year, or I, I don't really know at this point. You know, the fact is that like, and we've spoken about this before, is like I don't really want for anything when it comes to watches because I could borrow a lot, which scratches the itch in some way. Yeah, and and I have like I've been so fortunate and i'm very grateful but like i have some watches that i really love to wear i have too many watches that's that's where i'm at now yeah uh so i don't really like 
personally need more watches. You know, if it's a good deal or if it's a cool thing or if I feel it somehow expands my ability to write about watches by understanding something new or different. Yeah. Then super. That's that's all great. And I think I'm not going to lose my enthusiasm for watches uh, in any metric. So, uh, yeah, with, with the Buren and then, you know, looking forward to kind of other stuff as the year comes. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting that, that, you know, you and I, who certainly when we, when we met years ago and kind of started doing the gray NATO, you know, we were, were, were kind of known as, and, and still are as kind of sports watch guys, divers, hikers, adventurers, guys who wears the, wear these mainly dive watches. And, and the, the funny thing is, is that we're both embarking on the new year with non diving watches, kind of very different types of watches than uh, it, it's it's interesting that we both sort of went in a totally different direction for for the new year. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, the the fact is, is like we just did that po the very popular. I didn't even realize this post was so popular, but that post on Hodenkey, the what I wore the most this past year, I didn't realize that was like some people's favorite post. Yeah, I know. <clears throat> People go nuts for it, and I, you know, I I picked the Explorer too. And the funny thing is, is like as I was writing it, I'm like, well, I'm going to end up picking it again next year. Like this is, I like, I, that's my 80% of the time watch. It's yeah. just that Explorer too. Yeah. So it's nice to go in a really like, like really go in a different direction, not go from an Explorer two to like another watch for travel or even another GMT, just like a gold watch with a weird chronograph. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, it's nice too, that the watch like that is, it's a fun watch and, and the Tudor's a fun watch too, but you know, it's getting a lot more time than I thought it would. But, um, I had an interesting discussion with, uh, this is a bit of an aside, but I was, I was talking to, to Dustin, the guy that I bought this tutor from and, and we were, uh, you know, saying, well, why don't, why don't you wear it very often? And he said, well, you know, I got this GMT that I wear. And, and he said, you know, it's kind of like when, when you put on something else and you're wearing a, a, a different watch, you, you, you start to wish you were wearing your Rolex. And, um, you know, I kind of chuckled at that, but in, in a way, you know, this, this sounds I realize that as it's coming out of my mouth that it sounds elitist or something strange, but I think guys that kind of know watches that, that maybe have experienced Rolex or, or Tudor for that matter, there is a certain intangible sort of draw to those watches that it's a certain classic feel, um, whatever. And I think, you know, you, you experience that with your Explorer too. And I, I wear a lot of Submariners, but, uh, um, it's, I guess it's not surprising that your Explorer two was your, your most worn watch. Absolutely, especially with a year like and we talked about this on the last episode, but especially with a year with so much travel. Yeah, right. I mean, it's just like you throw it on a NATO and you never think about it again, and it's just pure functionality. And it also like it just kind of became the watch that like I always had on my wrist. You see it in a lot of photos. It's fun. Yeah, right. So, so gold watches. So, um, starting the year with a gold watch, and and potentially you'll kind of explore that uh, that area, and and maybe is that would you consider that kind of a prediction of what? some brands might might do and maybe what we see more of i mean it's sort of been a trend in the past couple of years right more more gold watches the funny thing is is i think it's a trend that kind of came from both sides of the market hmm. because i think people started to see a, a renewed appreciation for things like rose gold and then you started to see it in the iphone you started to see it in daniel wellington's yeah and uh um what's the what's the department store brand that starts with an m michael kors oh yeah right you started to see these watches in gold and 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 it wasn't just uh, women's watches. You know, it was presented in a way where it was, uh, you know, these kind of classically minded, you know, uniform wares, and and these other brands started to kind of conceptualize the 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 kind of days, you know, where a guy who might be cutting his lawn in a white t-shirt and, and the gold watch he wears all the time, like it's just <laughs> yeah, that's right. that's his wa- that's his watch, that's yeah. your watch. And there's like you know there's something kind of leave it to Beaver or like space era, yeah, like you yeah. you imagine. 
Buzz Aldrin cutting his lawn on a, on the weekend or something, and he's maybe he's wearing a gold watch. I mean, yeah, I'm right. sure he was wearing a speedy, but yeah, I know but what you mean. It kind yeah. of it kind of fits in that general space, that mental space. Oh, totally. And uh, and then I think at the same time we started to see, you know, you have you have brands that are re-exploring precious metals by making their own versions of it. Right. Uh, Omega has Sedna Gold. Hublot has. Um, King gold, king gold. Thank you. Yeah, and and uh, and you'll you'll we see more and more of that, especially as people start to experiment with like what can be done with ceramic between coatings and kind of blended materials and composites and and blending gold with uh, various types of carbon fiber and and so you're seeing I think you see more and more gold. Yeah, and then I what I think we might see as a trend, and this is something that I'm going to put my stake in the ground now because I think it'll be funny to look back on in a couple of years if I change my mind. Yeah. But people can remember the start of 2019. I am still staunchly against two tone. Oh, really? Huh. Oh, yeah. I have like zero love for it. I would buy. I would buy. A, I like the the idea of a gold aerospace. Yeah, yeah. But the only ones that are like plated or don't have a ton of gold are the two tone ones. Yeah. No, no way. I don't. I just don't like two tone. I don't love the new root beer GMT in huh. two tone. Huh. Interesting. I've had it on wrist. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, it's gorgeous. It's really like an, it's an incredible watch. It would never be the one that I would buy. <laughs> okay. Here's one for you. Cause I saw funny you bring that up because I, I, it popped up in my Instagram or something the other day, the, the Tudor steel and gold with that, uh, I think it's like a champagne or gold dial. Okay. I, I find that watch just unnaturally attractive. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it again, totally outside my, my wheelhouse or my interest level, but wow. I, and I remember seeing it in person at, uh, at Basel last year and just, I was really taken with it. I mean, I'm not sure yeah. I would ever buy it or wear it, but come on, you got to admit that one. I mean, you'd, you'd, you'd wear that maybe on a NATO, like a gray NATO. Wouldn't that be cool? I don't know. I'd have no? to, I think I'd have to try it. I think I'd have to try yeah, it. I, yeah. I, I don't know what it is about two-tone that just doesn't, it huh. doesn't sit right with me. Yeah. Um, but what, I think, what about I think we're going to see a trend towards more two-tone. What about the steel and bronze stuff that maybe Oris does that kind of looks warm, goldy sort of tones with the steel? Do you like that? I, I like it better, but they do it so minimally, like the yeah. the the like the rim the, of the bezel. The Aura sixty five is basically all you see is the edge of the bezel, and I think the crown. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's fine. Like I, I th- and I understand why people like it. And then they'll they'll also sometimes you have the same reflected on this or surrounds for the indices and the hands. Yeah, yeah. And that makes perfect sense. And and it, it's a gorgeous thing. It's like it's like when you get into the you know, like a, a giant Breitling with the center links are gold and yeah, the rider yeah. tabs are gold and the, yeah. the text on the dial is gold. That's and, too much. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I never like, like I never felt like a special affinity to the, the two-tone Submariners. Yeah. Right. Uh, because they just seem like you took, you took something um, that was purposeful and like, you know, like it's like I don't really like a two-tone Audemars Piguet Royal Oak because I, the steel one was made steel because that's how they kind of changed the sport watch industry. Right. And the gold one just kind of flaunts that thing entirely. And then there's just something in the middle ground. It's like you haven't committed to the idea. Yeah, yeah. That's some true. of this, but not some of that. But, you know, and then they've they've had good success with things like titanium and steel. Yeah. So it's mixed metals look really cool. Right. But for me, it's the the gold steel is like, I don't know. I don't I don't even like like a, like a pair of Ray-Ban Clubmasters that have the gold accents huh. versus uh, white metal. Like I just... I think my preference when it's it's not like when you're not going to go the whole way is yeah, to go yeah. is to stick with the white metal. Yeah, I, I think a gold dial, like I could give you that. I think like the gold or the champagne sort of dial. I think you could find a space where that has like a, a specific charm that's not the same charm as the gold. Yeah, yeah. Okay, uh, on the on the similar theme, uh, what would you like to see 
kind of this year um, in a gold watch that might be surprising. Hmm. I, I, I'm I'm leading you here because I can read yeah, your I can read your notes. I think, <laughs> yeah, I mean, like like it'd be it'd be hilarious. It'd be really I think it'd be genuinely hilarious and awesome to see like Doxa do one more version of the sub three hundred in plated gold. Yeah, like yeah. like make fifty of them. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, just because I think that it would be like like those watches are so fun. They sold fairly well. People are kind of still about them. Yeah, and but the the actual like world of doxa enthusiasm is is like narrow it's small right right and and i think that these this would this would just be like a bit of a font to say like we can we can make 50 of these things they're strange and funny and they wear really well yeah and i just think it'd be really like i think it'd be like gold with the with the the pro dial yeah would be hilarious yeah Yeah. i think it'd be super fun well there is a precedent for it i mean i i know that yeah uh, there's there's one there is one plated one that we know of yeah right so hmm yeah, that would be that'd be pretty cool, and it's the right look that sort of era. I mean, it fits perfectly that case shape and that small dial. It would kind of be quirky enough that I think it could pull off uh, solid gold. Eh, eh, that'd be that'd be pretty neat. Yeah, I think so. I mean, what about for you? I know in past ones where we've done our little predictions for SIH, which are never right. Yeah, uh, yeah. we spoke about the possibility of Longa making a steel watch, which would be the inverse of this concept, a brand that only does. Uh, precious metals every year i kind of hold out hope that uh, it's both hope and sort of dread that that uh, langa will will do a sports watch like a like a pure sports watch and i i have a feeling they won't ever um, i shouldn't say never but um yeah i always feel like you know I, I love that that type of surprise it's kind of like when paddock did that big travel time uh, uh pilot watch a couple of years ago like it, it attracted such derision from some and some love from others and i happen Absolutely. to like it but yeah, I, I would love to see Langa kind of pull something out of their hat like that they, they seem a little more kind of conservative and very careful in, in their releases but i sure would uh i sure would love to see them do something you know with kind of uh you know mushroom kind of plunger pushers and and kind of more of a I don't know, like black dial sort of steel chronograph um, with a little bit of water resistance or something. I don't know. Um, you know, I mean, they have they have a bit of precedent with their kind of Flieger watches, uh, but those are obviously very similar to what IWC was making in the 40s and whatever. So I, I think they would probably veer away from that. But just some kind of a a little more of a sporting watch would be uh, would, would be fun to see from them. I, I can't wait to see what. Uh, you know, you mentioned IWC, um, what they come out with. I, I could almost guess that, you know, Panerai will be kind of uh, more of the, uh, kind of more along the, the trend of what they do, you know, maybe a, a new submersible type thing. And then and then maybe uh, kind of continue with the Douai line, sort of expand mm-hmm. it a little bit, hopefully give it a little more water resistance. Yeah, um, that'd be good. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think, you know, 2019 is kind of a big year. Obviously, it's a big year for you know, moving ahead to, to maybe Basel or something, um, Omega. I mean, it's the 50th anniversary of the moon landing. And Absolutely. I know that when, when Ben interviewed uh, Reynald uh, Eichleman at, at the H10 event a couple of weeks ago, you know, he kind of baited him a little bit with, with a question about, will we see another caliber 321 Speedmaster? And, you know, Reynald sort of deferred and, and very politically, you know, uh, minded sort of typical CEO speak, you know, sort of waved it off. But right. that would definitely be something that uh, for the 50th anniversary of the moon landing would certainly be a, uh, uh, you know, if I were a betting man, I might, uh, might put some money on something like that, even though I have no inside knowledge of that. But uh, I think it's also, if I'm not mistaken, I think 1969 was the year they introduced the, 
the Submariner date, if I'm not oh, mistaken. Oh, okay. I think. Huh. Um, so the 1680, you know, the first Rolex Submariner date. Right. Um, and, you know, certainly people will, will correct me if I'm wrong or I can look it up after this episode. But uh, so that would be interesting to see. I, I've heard sort of rumors that that Rolex is going to kind of do something different with the, the case shape of the Submariner, which, again, there's nothing hard and fast or firm about that rumor. Um, no. Rumors fly around Rolex and, and people are never right. But uh, coming going back to like a thinner lug um, you oh, know, with, with, like, with like a 50th anniversary Submariner date would be really cool. Yeah. So... I mean, what what would you if there's if there's like like for me, I try like I can never really predict what these brands will bring up because I don't follow the the trends that much, and in many ways, I don't. There's a lot of brands that I don't follow like at all. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that carefully, like when they launch something new, I'll read about it. Oh, okay, that's what it is. But like, I'm not like a necessarily a subject matter expert. Yeah. On everything that say Glashuta Original makes. Exactly. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Right. But like within our within our zone, for me, I I would like. It's the, I think I think we've said this before, but I would love to see them, and they've done they've made versions of this, but I'd love to see a fifty fathoms at forty millimeters. Oh yeah, yeah. Do it at forty one if you have to. Yeah, yeah. But like they keep making them at forty five. Yeah. And forty eight in the GMT. Right, right. It's too big. Well, the the Ocean Commitment one and the and the Mil Spec one were both forty, and they were perfect. Both of them were like that. That to me was, you know, without the without the Mil Spec uh, water intrusion sort of thing on there or the ocean commitment logo that watch would be perfect utterly perfect i mean i i don't like the date implementation yeah because it's yeah. A, like a punch out yeah at right, 430 right right um so put the date at six yeah or no just just do do the or just do it really easy yeah and go no date yeah keep the three barrel movement if you can at 40 millimeter like give the 120 hour uh, power reserve yeah uh, i think it's the uh i don't remember what the movement 1315 or something like that or something like yeah, that yeah, yeah but you know try and try and do that but like whatever they were using for those for those watches like just drop the date off it go no date keep yeah. the sapphire bezel and do it at like 40 or 41 yeah and just like print some money yeah right right like, like make it make it ninety eight hundred dollars yeah so it makes the list of watches under 10 grand yep yep and uh and then in a year or two do the exact same thing in titanium yeah and and just make something like a, a really killer. The just call it the the fifty fathoms classic. Yeah, yeah. And like right. Suddenly, suddenly, a bunch of people who like walk past Blanc Palm because they see how big these dive watches are. Sure. And they they walk their way over to things at like forty and forty one and thirty nine millimeter. Yeah. Will will suddenly be like, oh, I'm going to stop for a second because that's roughly the same price as a steel sub, which I can't buy anyways. Yeah, yeah. Like there's a couple brands that could kind of capitalize on the fact that Rolex. Is making it hard to buy a steel sports watch? Yeah, and Blancpain's one of them, right? Right, and like they're not part of the same family. They don't have to worry about infighting. Like right now, it's funny because like Rolex is probably helping tutor at some metric. Yeah, because they're making thirty-nine millimeter sport watch that wears like an old one. They make a great forty-one millimeter diver. They make a great chronograph. They make like they make a bunch of stuff that's all in steel. Right, and there's a bunch of brands that really should have jumped on this last year. Yeah. And they should get on it this year. Like Omega's definitely considering, you know, br- keep retaining things at a more reasonable size. Yeah. It would be really cool to see a dark side of the moon, not at 45 millimeters. Yeah, that's true. Give us that amazing ceramic case and, and, and everything that comes with it and, and maybe even a, like a 9000 series movement, but just bring it down to Speedmaster Pro sizing. Right. Yeah. And maybe that maybe they see that as a problem in terms of cannibalization, but I think it would be amazing where you can say like, oh, well, a Speedmaster Pro is six grand or whatever, 
and if you want, if you want like the high tech version, but otherwise the case is the same shape with the cool lugs, yeah, all of that. Yeah, yeah. Do it in ceramic. And I mean, if it was a millimeter bigger, I don't think anyone would care. It's it's 45. It's just feels big these days. Yeah, yeah. And what what else do you see? Like like if you think of other brands, what would you like? What would you like to see from Adoxa this year? Uh, well, again, you know, 50th anniversary of the T-Graph. Um, you know, okay. there have been rumors yeah, yeah. flying around that. It would be a very logical sort of thing. They, they capitalized on the 50th anniversary of the, the Sub 300. You know, they really milked that one and, and with great, great success. Um, you know, the T-Graph would be a good one. You know, we've talked before about uh, some sort of a, a, a second generation GMT. I would love to see that. I, you know, just going back to kind of the, one of the bigger brands, I think, you know, you mentioned Tudor. I, I don't know that they'll do it, but I'd love to see the the Heritage Chronograph get that in-house movement that was in the um, the, the Black Bay Chronograph. I mean, the, oh the, yeah, for sure, they have that movement now, and and if they can make it a little thinner, put it in the Heritage Chrono because I love, and I know you do too, the Heritage Chronograph. That that form factor is just it's almost the perfect sports watch. The screw and pushers, hundred fifty meter water resistance, twelve hour bezel. I mean, what what's not to like? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the blue and white one is one that's been on my list for several years now. It's yeah. just the the opportunity has not come up to snag one in at like in a scenario that I I wanted. I don't really want to just buy one at retail. Yeah, and uh, and but I think on wrist, especially with that cool blue, orange, white NATO. Yeah, yeah. You know, for a guy that writes about cars, that's uh, yeah, that's kind of a fun fun thing to have in in the quiver and uh, and a very a very cool watch. So I mean, to see them uh, make the move to. Yeah, to have that the movement that they're you know they're sharing with Breitling, yeah, in that watch I think would make a lot of sense. Update the line, maybe even offer a new color or do one in bronze or something like that. Yeah, and for me, it's not even so much the the in house aspect of it. I mean, in house is great, but I think it's kind of an overrated concept. But I think that the the movement that's in the Heritage Chronograph is, you know, it's a modular kind of tall stacked movement. I've heard you know, people have issues with the, the pusher, you know, kind of feel, um, I haven't experienced that myself, but, um, you know, just, just, I, I guess personally, I would just love to see a, a new version of the heritage chrono period. I don't care really what's inside of it, frankly, but, uh, if that's what drives them to do it, uh, that would be really great. But I mean, the, the fun thing is, is a lot of times like you and I call out in-house is not being better because part of that being because there's generally a big price jump. Yeah. Yeah. Tudor typically adds about 250 bucks to a watch Yeah, when they, yeah. when they go to in-house. Right. So I mean, like if that's a brand, that's a like a newly developed movement from Breitling, who knows a thing about chronographs, yeah. obviously. Yeah, uh, that feels like a good way to go. I don't think you're paying a big premium for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, that's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to see the other other one I've got on my list. I'd love to see. Um, I feel like you know Bremont's kind of breathed some new new life into the Supermarine family with the the S three hundred, which has been seems to be very popular, very um, yeah, successful really. for them. I'd love to see them take, uh, you know, even like the S500 or, or an S300 and, and make a chronograph out of it. I, I, I've really grown to love dive chronographs. I don't know. You know, I've got the, the old T-graph that I, that I bought last year that I've talked a lot about. But uh, I, I just like that. They're, they're, you know, it's debatable whether a dive chronograph is truly kind of a, a functional thing for a diver. But I think just as, a, as kind of a sports watch to wear, they just, they just have such a cool factor. And I think the Supermarine is kind of, uh, Bremont does a nice job with its uh, Alt-1 chronographs. And I just think to kind of move that over in kind of a two-register Supermarine chronograph would be would be a, a pretty neat move for them. I absolutely agree. I mean, and it, it also falls well within like the brand's core strengths. Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's a, it's one of those things where, like you mentioned, and you go like, "Huh, it's kind of funny they haven't done that yet." Yeah, right. You know, even even with having several watches at forty three millimeters that have the chronograph, yeah, and then having an, a Supermarine S two thousand that's forty five millimeters, like they have the room to work with it. Yeah. So it'd be really interesting to see what they what they decide to offer, and I would I would assume they'll do some sort of their own event in February. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we should get a chance to see some of that, which would be fun for yeah, sure. Right. Yeah. What about non-watch stuff? Like, are you uh, aiming to do, you know, you're going you're gonna to buy a vintage car this year? You're going to try to do more uh, hiking or what, what's kind of on your, on your plate? You know, I, I'll have to, I definitely have to buy a car now that I'm in Ontario and in yeah. Toronto. Um, yeah. I, I really can't decide on what I want I'm having. I'm already having kind of some um, general choice anxiety. <laughs> uh, you know, it's not going to be a vintage sports car. It's going to be something I can move the kids around in. I, I'm tempted to go kind of towards an older Jeep Cherokee. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which has been a longtime love of mine. I, I drove one when I was younger uh, of my father's and uh, just a great kind of all-around vehicle. But then, you know, you, you start to consider like side impact crash protection and things like that when you've got the kids. And yeah, I'm not sure that that's more of a selfish decision than the smartest one for uh, dad. So I'm yeah. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm kind of kind of weighing a few different options, but I'll, I'll get into that. And then I, I probably don't see myself buying a sports car simply because I drive so many yeah yeah that's true uh, on, yeah. on my own and and uh and also uh the the whole scenario around speeding in 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 and around toronto and ontario is bad oh really uh oh. so the you know you can very easily lose the car and the license around here oh wow and uh unlike bc where where i was living i i had access to roads that were kind of appropriate to a supercar yeah uh, to drive up to Whistler, say on on Highway 99, or there's a couple other spots that I'm definitely not going to blow up for the other people who drive on them. Yeah. Um. There's almost nothing around. Oh, uh, Toronto. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that that you would call like a proper driving road. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So I mean, you're you're left with like crawling a sports car through downtown Toronto, like a, a city city driving. Right. And uh, and that's you know hard hard on a car and definitely going to be hard on your license and and that yeah. sort of thing and then uh, and then you have highway driving which is I'd, I'd rather be like comfortable and, and quiet for a yeah. highway yeah yeah um, you know if I if I've got to put in some miles so I'm I'm not really sure with that but definitely uh, definitely more cars yeah is uh, is the goal and and I think 2018 went really well as far as that I drove I drove I mean I drove some of the most fantastic cars in the world. Yeah, tough to improve on that. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. So I just, just kind of, I think I'm just going to try and stay in the mix as much as possible. I have something coming up in February that is next level. Huh. Wow. Uh, to the extent that I'm not being told when I'm driving. Oh wow, Jeez. It's not, it's not been seen. Yeah. And uh, this brand has never done a North American driving preview. Huh. Uh, so that's uh, that's I'm very excited for and will be um, absolutely fantastic. So uh, I will put what I can on Instagram in about a month's time. Wow. Uh, but we'll see. And uh, my guess is a lot of that will be embargoed for a bit. Huh. Wow. Yeah. Do you know I'm, I'm going I'm going up to Montreal with Porsche later in the month to this spot called Camp Four uh, to do some winter driving in uh, the SUV in the four wheel drive Panamera. Oh, nice! And uh, so that's good. I, I like. I really like those opportunities because they keep your skills kind of sharp. And I haven't done a lot of winter driving. You know, the last few years being in Vancouver. Yeah, I did the uh, Mercedes Benz ice driving course last uh, last February. Oh, I remember uh, that. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, out in Manitoba. Yeah. Uh, so I, hopefully I, some of those skills will transfer. I won't be too rusty, but we'll see. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, with the car things going really well, you know, I, I absolutely adore the team at Nuvo and, uh, and, and all the opportunities they've brought and the kind of flexibility they give me to kind of cover what I want to cover and, and focus on what I think is kind of like enthusiast, but still accessible and interesting. Yeah. 
so all of that's good. I'd, you know, I'd like to continue that. And then as far as like adventures, I mean, I think the next one that needs to be on my list is a trip to Minneapolis. I'm, I've put it off for way too long. We need to do another TGN summit. Uh, so we'll have to see if we can make that happen either, you know, in the next uh, few months, you know, yeah, a, yeah. a hangout. Yeah, we talked about, uh, you know, something in the next couple of months, which would be really fun. And, and you know, there's there's certainly things we can do any time of the year here. And uh, if you come, we'll give you a proper uh, a proper local welcome here with some of the crew. And, and then you and I can go off and, I don't know, do some skiing or ice diving or, or just drive around on the Land Rover or something like that. We'll have, we'll have a good time. And of course, we'll record. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, and, and it might be an opportunity to do another get together. Yeah, uh, yeah, which yeah. would be which would certainly be fun. Uh, I mean, what what are you thinking as far as adventures? I know in the last one you're saying like you might dial back the diving a little bit and try try a different flavor of adventure. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, maybe maybe it's uh, th- there's some sort of overall uh, vibe trickling into my life uh, with this uh, this tutor that I bought that's uh, kind of also bleeding into kind of uh, at my adventure mindset and you know last year was a an epic year for for diving and went all over and did some really amazing stuff and i i think you know having having been out in aspen uh, a few weeks back and we're going to uh, to vail to do some skiing um <laughs> tomorrow um and then just this trip up north it's kind of awakened that uh sort of topside mountain uh sort of adventure spirit in me that that's been dormant for a few years probably since uh, 2013 when i did rainier um I, I just I'd like to get back to more sort of hiking, backpacking, um, just sort of tramping around. I, I read a great book when I was up at the cabin um, called "The Places in Between," written by Rory Stewart, this uh, Scotsman who who walked across Afghanistan the year after the Taliban fell, so two thousand two. Oh wow! And it was like it's it's an amazing book. I was going to put it in the final notes, but I'll just mention it here. And and just the idea of just sort of walking across a country or or just just exploring on foot is is something that's very appealing to me. So. We'll see. Gashani and I have a trip to the UK in June um, for a family function in London, and uh, we're going to try to get up to uh, to Scotland. I got some great uh, intel from a friend of the show, Aaron Cross, um, who sent me some some good ideas for for things to do up there. And I, I just think you know more kind of cabin time, more backpacking time, more um, just sort of topside travel. Um, certainly, there will be plenty of diving, and and you know. Uh, probably a lot in the Great Lakes this year. I'd like to get up to Whitefish, um, where the shipwreck museum is, and there's there's a uh, it's kind of the shipyard or sorry the shipwreck uh, coast they call it up there. So there's a lot of wrecks. Um, one of these years, I need to get over to Iceland and and dive Silfra, the the, the crack between the two continental plates. Um, oh yeah, for sure. You know stuff like that. But uh, yeah, I think I think I just want to kind of even things out a little bit and do do a little bit more topside. I'd like more time at home too to kind of tinker with uh with the old land rover i kind of enjoy that sort of taking sort of a solitary saturday and, and just sort of putzing with sort of easy stuff um you know i've got uh, the the door locks and latches are getting a little loosey-goosey so i'd like to <clears throat> replace those um, i've got some electrical lighting gremlins that need to be sorted you know little stuff like that that you can sort of putts with for an afternoon without great cost or, or getting too too dirty or sweaty and it's just sort of rewarding to do that sort of stuff so um so those are a few of the sort of uh goals uh, sort of loose goals that i have for the this year just sort of spend a little less time underwater uh, a little more time tramping around and, and a little more time at home this year um the other kind of the last thing i wanted to mention was i, I i've sort of been a long time 
envy or if that's a word of of one watch people you know people that sort of just wear their watch for everything and 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 all the time and although i realize now that i'll never be that person i thought it would be kind of a fun experiment to to maybe try being a one watch guy um for maybe a, a period of time or or kind of switch and, and just wear one per month or, or do like a two-month experiment and whether that turns okay. into a a story for Hodinkee at some point, or maybe it's just uh, something we talk about on TGN for fun or, or just sort of make it sort of an ongoing uh, Instagram theme. Um, I was chatting with my, my buddy Myron who who's over at Roverhaven straps in, in Michigan. And uh, he, he was kind of coming to the same idea for, for 2019. So we were going to kind of support each other in this endeavor. So I, th- I think, you know, we're, we're a week, almost two weeks into the start of the year and I've, I haven't taken off this, uh, this Tudor oyster date. So I think this might be my, my one watch for, for January and, and we'll see where it goes from there. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at. That's a fun idea. I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to uh, kind of match you with that. So we'd have something to talk about, maybe do a, a one watch episode. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and go from there. So well, maybe I'll, I'll try and do a, a month with that gold Buren. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, you and I, like you mentioned earlier, we, we get to scratch the itch by getting loaner watches for reviews and, and things like that. And certainly I would make exceptions where that comes up. I have, uh, uh, I have a watch coming in uh, shortly that I'll be, you know, kind of reviewing and, and looking at, and, and we do these trips every now and then where you wear a watch. But, uh, but other than that, I just, I, I enjoy wearing kind of just that, that notion of, of wearing one. And, uh, I think the one watch a month thing could be a little difficult once you get like, you know, down to November and you're, you know, you're, you're craving wearing the watch that you wore back in January. So I don't think it's quite that realistic, but yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. Absolutely. I think it's a fun idea. And, and yeah, it might lead to an interesting sort of post or, or yeah. some understanding of like, maybe it's something that you think you like, and then you try it for a little while and you're like, no, nah, yeah. I like having three or four to, to <laughs> kind of jump around in. Yeah, right, right. Uh, the, the other thing for me, if you want to talk like resolutions, is this year I'm going to try not to buy anything I already have. Oh, yeah. It's not a great skill of mine. Like I'll, I'll just like... I was when you're moving, you 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 kind of become like uh, cognizant of all the things you have. Yeah, and uh, and I think like like typically I'll buy something and, and like it and use it, but occasionally I just kind of buy a few of the same things. And like watches are one example, I guess, but also like that's work and camera gear. I suppose is another example, but it's also work. Yeah, jackets. Um, jackets think, are my big yeah, weakness. Jackets, yeah. backpacks. I realized how many backpacks I owned yeah. when I started packing. Yeah. And I think I'm not buying anything unless it directly replaces something I already have because mm-hmm. it's better. Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, I'm just sticking with what I got. Yeah. Uh, definitely clothes for me. Like, I'm just going to try and buy very select pieces that last a long time, continue with things like Outlier and, uh, and you know, Icebreakers and, you know, th- these brands that have been really good to me so far. Sure, yeah. And, uh, and try not to do like, oh, these, I can get three of these t-shirts for $18. I ha- I need three more t-shirts suddenly. <laughs> yeah, Whereas right. Whereas like before right. I walked, before I, and, and the other, that, that, that leads to one more final thing. I'm going to attempt, and I don't know if I can do this because I'm now in Ontario. <clears throat> yeah. And I'll, but I'm going to attempt not to go to a mall for a year. Oh, good one. I hate, I hate malls. Yeah. Yeah. They like give me like just a general anxiety of like, there's too many options here. Yeah. None of it's focused. None of it's like, Right. No, this wasn't selected by anyone that knows anything. Yeah. It was bought via spreadsheets and put into a big place, and I'm supposed to figure out what I like. Yeah. And uh, I, I just, I'm going to attempt not to do any malls this year. I don't know that that's actually possible, but I'm going to try really hard. No malls. Yeah, that's a good one. 
Yeah. No, no malls, and and uh, and I'll try. I'll try and do the Kevin Rose thing, where if you put something in your Amazon, yeah, you wait a day to actually buy it. Yeah, that's a good one too. Yeah, because Amazon will really get you when you're like, oh, I, I my my USB cable's not braided steel. <laughs> how, how have I been charging my phone all this time? I yeah, have to yeah, have a braided yeah. steel one. Yeah, yeah. or no, another memory card case or something like that. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, I mean, I think you know, as we kind of close out the the topic here, I mean, you know, there are a lot of goals and resolutions everybody sets every year that um, you you break ninety percent of them, but uh, it's 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 always a fun month of the year to kind of be optimistic and look ahead, and and even if you get halfway there in any of these, it's uh, you're kind of headed in the right direction. Yeah, I completely agree. Want to final notes? Yeah, let's do it. Um, I uh, uh, my first one is one. Um, it's actually season three of Tales by Light. So oh, yeah, we have talked about Tales by Light in the past because uh, it's one of our favorites. It's a it's a Netflix program that was uh, kind of produced or or made possible by Canon, the camera company. Um, and in each season, now we're up to season three. They highlight. Uh, three or four uh, photographers each season where they kind of follow them around and and kind of dive into what their specialties are uh, in terms of um, their focus, their passions, uh, a little bit, not not really about the gear they use, but kind of the images they create and why. Um, And season three is another really good one. There are three photographers. One, the first one is uh, um, a guy who does photography for UNICEF. So it's the UN's uh, sort of childhood uh, you know, they, they try to help uh, children in peril around the world, whether it be refugee camps or child labor issues and things like that. So um, this guy's actually in Bangladesh and he's taking photos of uh, kids that are working in pretty, pretty horrible conditions. And, and he's accompanied by Orlando Bloom, the actor, who's a UNICEF ambassador. Um, and regardless, uh, I actually found I, I liked Orlando Bloom a lot. Um Watching this, you know, I thought, oh, it's a celebrity involved with this, but he he lends a, he has a very real aspect to him and doesn't detract from kind of the overall story and the focus on the photographer. And then the the second guy is uh, someone that people might be aware of from Instagram, Sean Heinrichs. He is a spectacularly talented underwater photographer who um, kind of focuses on uh, you know the plight of of ocean species and and issues related to ecology and just take some amazing photos of mantas and whale sharks and things like that. So he, uh, he's the second guy. And then, uh, the third one is, um, a guy named Dylan river, who's uh, Australian. And he, um, goes into the, the kind of the outback in, in Australia and he focuses heavily on indigenous cultures. there, Aboriginal people, um, kind of capturing their stories and, and things like that. So, um, it, you know, beautifully shot, uh, talented guys, interesting stories, and they're all very digestible. Each episode's like 24 minutes long. So, um, you know, easily bingeable, or you can kind of just digest them one at a time. Um, so yeah, Netflix, uh, Tales by Light season three. Fantastic choice. I mean, we definitely spoke about seasons one and two when they came out. And, uh, uh, I occasionally get emails of people telling me to watch them, you know, they haven't gone back and heard the old episodes and it's just, incredible programming and i i been so busy i haven't even like been jumping around on netflix that much i should definitely get in and watch that so good uh, good heads up i appreciate that yeah and uh my first is also a show on netflix which i found while i was traveling through december and it's both not the type of show that i like and a topic that i don't know that much about and it hit me 
kind of really hard for both reasons. And it's uh, it's essentially kind of like a home and garden style or TLC. I, I don't know if that's a thing in the States. It must be. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of these shows about homes. It's called The World's Most Extraordinary Homes on Netflix. Huh. And they have two seasons. And I think each season has like four or six episodes. And in those, they go to, they're about an hour long, and they go to an area like New Zealand, and they show you a few really avant-garde, really interesting architectural homes. So where where a very rich person has worked with an architect to build the home, the dream home. Yeah. And they they show you the plans, and they show you these 3D renderings, so you can really understand how how the home came together. Huh. And then they'll talk to the architect and they'll talk to the artist and they'll talk to the, you know, the people who were involved with designing it, whether that's the owners or just the architect. Yeah. And it's hosted by Caroline Quentin, who I believe is an actress in the UK, like maybe a stage actress. She's not someone I recognize and I feel like I watch enough like BBC shows that I would probably catch her. Yeah. Maybe she's been in something I watched and I just didn't notice. And this guy, Piers Taylor, who's an architect, huh. who does some stuff that we you know went back and actually Googled his name. He does some really interesting stuff. And like, I don't know that much about architecture. I, I've become loosely interested in it because it's a huge fascination of Stephen Pulverant. Yeah. Who's become a, a friend of mine, uh, you know, in the span of time that I've been working for him and, and even before that. But he loves architecture and design and it's something I would love to learn more about. And the show is so entry level. So if you're like, if you see a building and you're like, that's beautiful, but I don't really know why. Or like, yeah. oh, that's that's ugly, but seems purposefully ugly. Why? Yeah. Um, then, you know, check this out. I, I absolutely, like I watched all of it in two days and, uh, it's fantastic. It's really, really, really fun watching. Oh, that sounds good. I'm, I'm like you, I'm, I'm fairly ignorant about architecture and kind of theory of architecture and that sort of thing. But I, I do have an admiration for just a a beautifully designed home. So I'm, I'm definitely going to check that out. That's great. Um, my second one is, uh, was kind of a surprise. Uh, I was getting a lot of ads, on social media for it was just calling them waterproof thermal pants and they kept kind of showing these looped looped videos of like a guy sort of dumping a glass of water on his trousers and they'd like bead off and drip off and then they showed a guy hiking in them and whatever and and they're like really good looking sort of soft shell hiking pants but they were kind of anonymous and i saw them advertised from various brands and they all looked the same um, and at one point I just, it said like 50% off or something. So I clicked the link and it took me to a website for a company called Ozark Gear Company. So they, they, they sell these pants. They, they just call them waterproof thermal pants and they're fantastic. I, I got them yesterday and I, I can't be more excited about them. I've been, I've had good soft shell pants over the years. I've had, you know, uh, mountain hardware and Northwest Alpine and, um, North face and things like this, but, uh, these are right up there. These are really great. They're, they're really good looking. They kind of have the contrasting reinforcement panels on the knees and on the seat. Um, and, and they're, they're this sort of stretchy soft shell material that really beads water off and, um, presumably is breathable to a certain degree, but I think they'd be more for kind of three season fall, winter, spring, uh, activities outside. Pretty athletic fit. They, um, they're, they're pretty kind of you know, snug in the, in the thighs and the legs. Um, but, but also very stretchy. So I, I'd kind of use them for cross country skiing or for hiking or snowshoeing or, or, you know, fun in the mountains. Um, and then they just have this sort of light fleece lining that, that makes them sort of cozy and, and, and warm, but not like, like, not like hot, you know, you can wear them indoors without being uncomfortable. Um, and, and I got the, there's kind of a slate gray with black contrast panels and some sort of orange stitching accents. And, 
they're just really great pants. And, and right now, at least, uh, you know, at the, the time we're recording this, um, they're on sale for like $64.99. So really killer deal for, you know, kind of Eddie Bauer, North Face level quality uh, outdoor hiking pants for, for not, not a lot of money. Um, that's so great. I, I'm, I'm thrilled with them. I think they're really, they're really great. That's fantastic. That's a, that's a good, good tip. It's funny to, to actually buy something on Instagram. That's okay, I guess. Yeah. And you know, I, I can't really see any weak points. I mean, maybe, you know, at some point the zipper is going to fail or the button's going to fall off or something, but so far they, they seem really well made. And, and yeah, it was, it was funny because the, the ads I was seeing were just so kind of cheesy and like, just, you know, like infomercial kind of like late night TV sort of ad style. Um, you know, so far so good. I, um, it was a, it was a good purchase. So, yeah. Well, I'm glad to hear it. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So my, uh, my last one is, uh, is actually a magazine put out by our buddy, Matt Horanic from, uh, the WM Brown project. Yeah. And, uh, it's a brand new magazine. Uh, I haven't been able to actually check it out yet, but there's no way that it's not awesome. So I'm going to throw it out now. I will find it, whether I find it in Colorado or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe I can find it in Geneva or I'll find it wherever I, I can find, uh, a copy of it for sale. Uh, I'm yeah. sure Matt, Matt can connect me with a location whenever I make it to a city. But uh, Matt and uh, Matt and his wife, uh, you know, with the WM Brown Project, and that's what he is on Instagram. He's an absolute must follow. He's great. Matt's the sweetest guy. I spent uh, some time with him in Italy this past May for Concorso d'Eleganza, and and it's uh, it's been it's been really great getting to know him. We hung out a little bit in New York over the summer. And now to see him kind of launch into this next thing, which is this beautifully produced magazine, something that you and I have a huge affinity for. Yeah. Uh, I'll put the link in the show notes, but uh, you should definitely be following Matt on Instagram to keep up with these sorts of things. And the magazine looks incredible. It's, you know, it covers kind of the same sorts of topics that we talk about and, and kind of geek out about and enjoy. And it has a, a really lovely aesthetic. And I, I kind of can't wait to get an issue in my hands. Yeah, I, I ordered one uh, and it came and it, 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 it's really nice. And it's uh, what I liked about it was the way he sort of launched it and put it together. I mean, there, there's no advertising in it. And he sort of did it almost like as this pet project of like, I just really like good print magazines and, and these are topics I'm passionate about and, and I'm going to do this. And so, the, you know, he's he's kind of a, a style guy. So he's got some some cool stuff about some, uh, some clothing brands. Uh, he mm-hmm. talks a little bit. He's got Aaron Sigmund writing about cigars. He's got Adam Moore doing some photography of watches. Awesome. Um, you know, there's Land Rovers and Tweed and, and, uh, travel, um, some a good travel article and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely worth it. So yeah, that's a good one. Super. Well, I think that's uh, I think that's a show. We're well over our, our, our usual hour, well into the long, longer stretch. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as always, thanks so much for listening and uh, big thanks to Hodinky for supporting the show. You can hit the show notes via Hodinky.com or the feed for more details. And we have a special thanks for Alps and Meters for directly supporting this episode of the show. If you like the show, please check out our sponsors. And this week is Alps and Meters. You can follow us on Instagram at Jason Heaton and at J.E. Stacey. And you can follow the show at The Graynado. If you have any questions for us, please write thegraynado at gmail.com. Jason and I read and reply to every message. And please subscribe and review wherever you find your podcasts. Music Throat is Siesta by Jazzar via the Free Music Archive. And we leave you with this quote from Eleanor Roosevelt, who said, The future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. 